flip this track again, y'all. Welcome in to a new edition of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. This is not a midnight edition. This is a 1 a.m. edition of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. I am your host, TJ McBride. That is at TJ McBride NBA. You can find my work over at milehighsports.com. And as usual now, almost every damn time you can't get rid of them, I got Brendan Vote to my right. TJ, I feel terrible. They had complimentary carrot cake out tonight. I had so much How many slices cake. did you have? All I know is that the top button of my pants is undone for this podcast. <laughs> yeah. That's how I measure how much cake I had. It was an interesting night, to say the least. It absolutely was a crazy night. I mean, I don't even know where to start. Should I, we start from the end? I think this is one of those games where the, the right place to start, TJ, is the absolute finish. All right, let's just get into it. All okay. right, so... We've watched this play a few times now. This is definitely one of those situations where, okay, the Nuggets get a great stop on Kyrie Irving. It is 111 to 110 after there was a three-pointer made in the corner off an offensive rebound by Jalen Brown to give the Celtics the lead back. So the Nuggets have the ball with 6.1 seconds left when they inbound the ball. Okay, or when the play ended and they could have called a timeout potentially on the rebound. It was not an inbounding because the play wasn't actually a, bu- a bucket, but... So they get the defensive rebound off the missed Kyrie Irving bucket. There's 6.1 seconds on the clock. Trey Lyles gathers the rebound and passes it ahead to Will Barton. But here's the detail that everyone's going to remember and wants to talk about. The Nuggets had one timeout remaining, Yes, TJ. they did. They did have one timeout remaining. They did not use it. So before we get into what we feel about this play, what I want to talk about, first of all, is let's just outline what happened. So Will Barton gets the ball, pushes it up the court, takes about a 30-footer-ish right around there from like pretty much to the top of the key, a little bit to the left wing. The ball goes about two feet left on an air ball, which was it wasn't a good shot, but there was a shot that was able to be taken, and Torrey Craig almost puts it in in time at the very end of the, bu- at, at the buzzer. He does alley-oop the ball in, but it's absolutely... After the buzzer sounds. So the Nuggets lose 110 to 111 to the Boston Celtics at home. That eventually leads to them going three and two on this five game homestand. So the controversy is that Michael Malone had a timeout left that he decided to not utilize. He actually told his team in the huddle before they got the stop on Kyrie Irving that if they were going to get that stop, that they were not going to use that timeout and that they were going to get going from there. So let's talk about why Malone might want to do that. Well, first of all, let's do it this way. Would you have called the timeout? I think I would have. But I want to be clear that I understand why he did not. Yeah, and I would have called a timeout. Flat out, like, I would have called a timeout. The argument being made is that if you don't call the timeout, the defense is scrambling more than if they're set. And that does make sense to me. In a vacuum, that is a decision that makes sense. Because think about how poor Mike Malone has done in final plays and these out of timeout plays. Yeah. Think about who the coach on the other side was. That's Brad Stevens. I mean, the dude is a boy genius. It just is what it is. And so despite the Nuggets scoring 60 plus ha- 60 plus points in the second half, that's still probably the league's best half court defense. So Malone's thinking is don't let these guys get set. Don't let Stevens talk to them. Let's see if we can catch them off guard, get something in transition. And they did not have Nikola Jokic on the floor, which was another hot topic of this conversation, but he was taken out for defensive purposes because you can target Nikola Jokic on defensive plays. Which is another argument for why a timeout maybe should have been used. So it makes so Brad Brad Stevens calls his full timeout right before that possession. Malone correctly makes the defensive switch, putting Craig in for Jokic. The problem Correct is, is the right way to phrase that. That was the right call. The problem is Jokic 
probably your best player is not on the floor for the most important offensive possession. So from that standpoint, I really do understand why people are upset that a timeout was not called. Yes. So let's play devil's advocate here because I think it's important to understand why Malone decided to take this conversation or take this this conversation. I am losing my mind. I am so tired (laughs) right now Uh, to take this direction and to make this call. So when you are up against a coach, like we said, this boy genius, do you really want to call a timeout and allow Brad Stevens to coach up his players, put in the players that he wants to put in when you could potentially get a mismatch? And two really important counterpoints were made here, and they came from two writers that you guys probably know. One of them is Matt Moore. The other yeah. one is Adam. Say his last name for me. Matas. Thank you. <laughs> Matt Moore said, the thinking here, right, one way of thinking at this is, that's just another chance for a really young team in Boston to make a mistake, right? Yes. So I get that. And then as Adam says, we're talking about how good this defense is and you don't want to let them get set up, except Denver had been torching them. They had. For the entire second half. So I really, really do understand why someone might feel like, man, you got to take that timeout. You got to get Jokic in the game. You you have to find a better shot than that. But I I just want to stress that I think, I, I I don't think there's a wrong take here unless you think, someone was egregiously wrong one way or the other. And this is the thing, the level of variance in this conversation. So how much better of a look could they have conceivably gotten if they called a timeout? What are the odds that they get a significantly better look than the one that they did? Because a shot did get off, thankfully. That was what you need to do. That is priority number one for players, for coaches alike. You need to get a shot off. That did happen. Again, I would have called a timeout and gotten a set offense, but there are situations where if you're trying to run a set play for some reason and you don't get the look you want you can find yourself in a situation to where suddenly everything is scrambled and you don't get a shot well it's happened to the nuggets all year long i can't remember the game off the top of my head because i didn't prepare for this podcast but (laughs) the nuggets (laughs) didn't even get the ball in bounds one game right yes so i forget the opponent there but yeah so the nuggets have struggled in these situations so i actually i really do get it but you call a timeout, you get to advance the ball, you get to sub Jokic in. I, I certainly understand why folks are sitting at home wishing a timeout was called. I just want, like, I wanted to come on here and make one thing clear. This isn't as egregious as it seems. There was a method to Malone's perceived madness. Exactly. I think that's the really good way to phrase that is that there was a method to his madness. There's one more angle to this. You, you touched on it briefly, and there were some screenshots flying around on Twitter tonight. When Barton got the ball, received the ball from Lyles, Murray was ahead of him. And he could have advanced the ball, and Murray would have been wide open and behind most of the defense. The problem is there was about 4.5 seconds left. So two things. First of all, Will Barton did not have a freeze frame or a pause button. (laughs) Believe it or not, this is a live game action A live game, a a defensive rebound. Like This play was not set or called, so he didn't have a lot of time to think and react. Yes, it's his job to make that read, but if he forces that pass ahead to Murray and they don't get a shot off, TJ, that's worse even worse than the shot that Barton did get Even if get you up. airballed it, you got a shot up. So this is the thing also that I think is important is that Will Barton was asked about if he saw somebody he was going to pass to. What he said I thought was very eye-opening. I had to look at the clock. I had to make sure that I knew how much time I had to at least get a shot off. So again, we're not talking about that they should have not called a timeout. We're just elaborating as to what happened once they didn't. Yep. So once you look up at the clock and you realize that you have 
have two seconds left. You don't have time to make a split decision to make a pass anymore. And people are going to make the argument that Torrey Craig was wide open under the rim. To make a dead sprint moving bounce pass to a player who is cutting to the rim with that amount of time left will likely lead to no shot getting up. To throw a lob to him from 35 feet out to a pinpoint spot at the rim is one of the most difficult passes to make at a dead sprint. No. These are not conceivable or any kind of situation that they could have actually used. I, Jamal Murray is the only outlet that he could have potentially hit, and he was still covered up. Harrison Wind of BSN, if you go over to his Twitter page, he has a picture of the screenshot. There's a guy right in front of Jamal Murray on the left wing in that situation. I think Barton made did the right thing. I think he made the right choice. Considering that they didn't take a timeout, yes. I do agree. That I think that was the right decision. Worst case scenario is not a wayward air ball. It's not getting the shot up. That is the worst case scenario, and everyone's going to try and rip Will, rip Will Barton, trying to call him selfish for this. That just isn't the case. Trey Lyles got the rebound, and when you get a rebound and you're not taking a timeout and you're pushing the ball to get the last shot, you're not looking for a specific shooter. You are just looking for a shooter. And Jamal Murray was not as open as Will Barton was, so Trey Lyles made the correct decision to send it to Will Barton. So we're starting with this play because it's obviously what everyone wants to talk about. But I agree with a sentiment shared by some writers tonight that I almost wish it didn't happen this way because it takes away from what was a great game that had a lot to yeah, talk about. I agree with that. And so it was the type of ending that's going to facilitate this, oh, Barton, oh, Malone, and this type of argument. But there's a lot going on in this game that I think you can take away. And as a Nuggets fan, you can feel kind of good about. I know there's been one too many, quote, good, unquote, losses, and, and fans are frustrated. But look, man... The Nuggets fell down 20 points in the first half to the third or fourth best team in basketball, and they erased that lead. Matt Moore tweeted out in the first half, this game is toast, 20-point oh, leads against Boston. I was sitting Boston. next to him, and I was like, listen, man, I don't know about I mean, this. You may have just jinxed it, buddy. And look, and, and Denver, Denver's offense in the second half of that game was elite. It was elite, and we got to we got to talk about their defense in the fourth quarter too. They forced three twenty-four second violations in the fourth quarter on the Boston Celtics with Kyrie Irving trying to play hero ball, and they generated a steal from Kyrie Irving. They got so a team that really struggles to get stops. They they needed a stop on like four or five different possessions in the final seven minutes, and they minutes, did it, and they got the stop. And it wasn't because they just missed shots. Guys were flying around. Yes. I remember I turned to Adam Mares, Adam Mares, who was sitting next to me, and I was like, Adam, like, have you seen the Nuggets fly around like this defensively? And we both were just like, no. Like, this was a whole nother gear of defense that I had not seen from them before. I agree, and I thought they played well defensively all night. And the first half, Boston was just making it shots. It was insane. Like they had 7 of 11 of in the first quarter from 3. I believe they were 10 of 14 by halftime. Right. So that was obviously not going to be sustainable. So the thinking at halftime was, okay, you keep limiting Boston's easy points in the paint and and allow this three-point shooting to sort of even out over time and protect the basketball, and you've got a chance. They did that, man. They really did. And this is a team, as frustrating as it is to watch them play teams like the Suns and the Hawks, how fun is it to watch them play teams like the Warriors and the Celtics? They are not yep. afraid, and they play their best basketball against the best opponents in the world. And we got to give some credit to the Celtics, too, because while the Nuggets did play great defense, when you look at the box score in the fourth quarter, and this is the whole fourth quarter because the defense really ratcheted up in the last six minutes of the game, yeah. but the Celtics shot 12 of 21 from the field and 5 of 10 from three in the fourth quarter. They only had one turnover, technically. 
Right. All of that I don't really buy because at the same time, like the Denver was making things unbelievably difficult for him the entire way through. And Denver was 11 of 22, which shot 50%, and they had nine assists on those 11 shots. So they were playing well. Both teams were playing well. They were trading buckets back and forth. Where I think the Nuggets really caught up in this game was the third quarter. That third quarter was something something else, man. They came out gunning. There was this attack mentality that I had not seen from them before. So in the first two quarters, Denver scored 21 and 24 respectively. In the third in the third quarter, they outscored the Celtics 37 to 24. They shot 68% from the field. They shot 15 of 22. They had nine assists on those, and they only had two turnovers in the frame. They were, I believe, a plus 13 by the end of it. Everybody was looking good. Everybody. Will Barton in the third quarter was so important. Like, this is what gets lost with Will Barton's game. The Nuggets were down by 20 at one point. They were down, I believe, 11 by the time that the second half rolled around. Will Barton, while he wasn't scoring at will, he was too of three he wasn't getting to the rim at will though he had four assists in the third quarter and each and every one of them were moments where the nuggets nor the nuggets desperately needed a bucket and he was getting penetration all night yes, long he something was. we've talked about a lot with will barton and the importance of him doing that on this roster so yeah great game from will I was really impressed, TJ, with Mason Plumley. Yeah, so let's start out with his injury because people are going to be curious what happened and I did do some digging and so Mason Plumley did receive an x-ray tonight. What happened was that at the 747 mark of the fourth quarter, he took a free throw. It was his second one and he missed it. He went for the offensive board, got between two guys, and it wasn't non-contact, but he ended up basically stepping hard in a weird way and you immediately saw him start hobbling and start jumping. And that led to a very strange sequence. Everything kind of just went chaotic and you'll see an article up on Mile High Sports, but probably by the time you're listening to this, I'm going to finish it up tonight probably be about two three in the morning and you can see in the play that he tries to get back on defense is actually able to somehow I, I was stunned he was even able to get back up the court and that's when I was like all right he didn't rupture his Achilles because once you grab for a calf in the way that he did that's always the first thought did it is it the Achilles especially now after Boogie went down with it everyone's nervous about that he made it down the far end of the court, and by the time the play was done, he just couldn't move. Like He made it to the scores table, and that was it. He went back to the locker room with zero weight on his ankle. The x-ray was negative, and they are getting an MRI either tomorrow or the next day. And what they're looking like is that they dodged a massive bullet. They're calling it a, a right calf strain as of right now. He did not leave with a boot on it. He did not have any kind of brace on it. He did have some crutches, which makes sense for precautionary reasons, but in, he seemed like he was okay. Important observation about the crutches, TJ. Literally Really taller than me. They were obscene. Like I have never seen. Like, you, you, you can see like the regular silver crutches that everyone has, where like the bottom extends. These were huge. They were like this dark gray with this crazy bend because people are so big. It needed like it, it was like an ergonomic design to like support the size of an NBA player. I've never seen those before. Literally bigger than me. Probably more expensive than money I do have. Uh, no, it's more expensive than your life. Yes. Believe it or not, so. and that is my life as well. But plumly on crutches. Not going to travel with the team, not yes. going to play tomorrow. We do think he's fine. Just a right calf strain, that's all we know. Yeah, so I was talking with a couple people, and it does sound like this could be maybe be like a couple-week thing. And what that says to me is that he could play on it if needed, but at the same time, they're going to be precautionary while they can. If they can get to the trade deadline and not need him, and he gets the, um, or not, not the trade deadline, if he can get to the all-star break and not need him, you give him that two weeks, and then you get the five days off with the all-star break, that would be huge for him. So now things get really interesting with this injury, TJ, because it's going to force Malone's hand. He's been stubborn with the Plumlee-Jokic pairing. 
he's going to have to figure something else out now. Perhaps that's a blessing in disguise. We'll see. We'll yeah. see. But you know what? I do want to say tonight was one of those nights where you saw why Malone has been so stubborn about this. Plumlee played excellent on both ends of the floor. He was super active on the glass, super active defensively in that first quarter. And I thought he was pretty good offensively tonight. And there was only a couple of moments where he got in the way of Nikola Jokic. Yes. Nikola Jokic looked like vintage Jokic for me tonight. Agreed. Like You see all the mid-range game come back. He only took five threes out of his 17 shots, which is a little much, but he hit two of them. They were in rhythm. These weren't threes where he was just forcing it because there was nowhere to go. Right. Like He looked like vintage Jokic. He and had 24-11-5 tonight. It was a great line. And four offensive rebounds. But yeah, I mean, there were a couple of plays where they literally bumped into each so other. They ran into each I other mean, at the elbow one play. I was that's laughing. Why, it was kind of funny. This game's funny. It's a microcosm. It's reflective of this whole dynamic. We saw offensively how they sort of butt against each other. We also saw why Malone likes this pairing. Plumlee, when he's at his best defensively, and when these two guys are attacking the glass, that's huge for this team. And had Plumlee stayed healthy tonight, and had the Nuggets won this game, the story for me would have been how well Plumlee played. I, I absolutely agree. And I, I know this is going to sound weird because Will Barton had 19-7-7. and Nikola Jokic had 24-11-5. Even even Gary Harris had 15-4-2 tonight of assists and steals. He had another four assists tonight. Even Jamal Murray turned it on. He had 14. He had eight assists and four rebounds. I would have given the MVP of this night to either Mason Plumlee or Trey Lyles. I agree. Let's talk about Trey Lyles. It's time to talk about Trey Lyles because I was stunned by the way that he was able to every single time the Nuggets needed a clutch bucket, he delivered. He hit multiple threes that they needed. He was four of seven from three tonight, seven of ten from the field, and he threw three assists into the mix. This was a guy who does not force anything. The more that I watch Trey Lyles play, the more I'm just astounded by that this guy just couldn't do anything in Utah because he has been such a godsend for this team without Paul Millsap. And the surprise factor is wearing off. In the first few months of this Lyles mania, we were like, wow, he's going to do it in the fourth quarter again? I had like again. four people hit me up today being like, is this really how Trey Lyles plays? I was like, this has been like two months of this. There are actually few things that could happen for the Nuggets that I'm more confident in than a Lyles three from the left wing yeah, in a big wing, moment. Yeah. In a big moment. I expect the shots to fall. So Lyles was a negative 14 tonight, but that's because he was on the bench, the bench that really didn't play well. We'll talk about this more in a second. But yeah, 20 points again off the bench for Trey Lyles. Yeah, that minus 14 does not signify how important he was to this team in any way, shape, or form, in my opinion. So we'll see now if Plumlee's injured for an extended period of time. It'll probably be Lyles that enters the starting lineup. I'm very curious about that because I do think Lyles and Jokic will play well together. But I wonder if the Nuggets will miss that 20 points off the bench they seem to be counting on these days. I got to say, I don't think Trey Lyles is up starting. Another guy we're about to talk about who missed this game, I think Wilson Chandler does. Okay. Because first of all, with Wilson Chandler, he... It's weird because Michael Malone backtracked off of the migraine thing. I did find out that the whole probable downgrade to questionable was a mistake by the PR due to personal issues that were just very unforeseen and it wasn't really able to be controlled. So that was, I, I throw out the whole downgrade from probable to questionable out of the equation now entirely. As someone who's dug in and tried to figure out what this is, that should not be one of the telltale signs of what happened. But something did happen. Chandler wasn't in the game tonight, and we know he left with migraine-like symptoms, TJ, as as Gina asked today in the huddle during shoot-around. I did find out the migraine turned into a head cold. A head I cold. finally got a grasp on what the illness was after digging all damn day. It was a head cold, which makes sense because when you get a migraine and your body shuts down, you start feeling bad, you get the slight headache after, and it makes you start feeling like you have a cold. I have had that personally happen to me. And I haven't seen Chandler, none of us have since 
this happened, we haven't gotten to really talk to him. So I, I'm not questioning how sick he, he may or may not be. We're just saying that we have not talked to him or seen him or have a grasp on his side of this. We have just been told certain things and I is thought, our only point. I just thought it was interesting how it felt to me like the Nuggets story was changing a little bit. I, that's all. I mean, I, that felt is the key word, right? I mean, if he's sick, he's sick. But... Yeah, it, that would be, you know, two days for a migraine is unusual, so it must have turned into a head cold or something, but nonetheless, no yeah. chance. And he did go home early tonight, according to PR. Um, we tried to get him after the game, but they usually don't let you talk to people who are injured, quote-unquote. So it's an interesting kind of situation, but Wilson Chandler did not play tonight due to a vague term of illness. We'll see what it actually culminates into when we can talk to him, probably Thursday. What I do know, and this hasn't actually hasn't been reported, I need to tweet this as I say this, he is traveling with the team to San Antonio. Okay. That is absolutely happening. So that does open up a different conversation that maybe he is feeling better and the fact is that maybe there isn't any kind of conspiracy happening like some people are trying to make it out to be we don't know we're trying to figure it out we'll get there when we do but as of right now he did not play tonight but he will be going at least to san antonio to be reevaluated later and i think i like him starting actually if that's the case because yeah, like I've, I've said in the last three podcasts i'll probably keep saying it for quite some time i think it's really important to have lyle's coming off the bench this next player I want to talk about, TJ, does not come off the, the bench. He uh, he doesn't play for the Denver Nuggets either. His name is Kyrie Irving. You may have heard of him. Who? Kyrie Irving. Is he is he that dude that plays for... Oh, not Cleveland. No, My no, bad. he My plays bad. for Boston now. Yeah, he scored 11 points in the fourth quarter tonight, and it reminded me of that Minnesota game where the Nuggets played Minnesota so well. They came back. They almost completed a monster comeback. But in the fourth quarter of that game, it was Jimmy Butler, who was likely the most talented player on the floor, playing like it in the fourth, like true stars do. Well, similar story tonight with Kyrie Irving, man. He was awesome. He was fantastic, man. I mean, it just shows you what having an MVP caliber player will do for a team, like flat out. He was so, so good. We were talking about that fourth quarter that he that that, that the, the Boston Celtics were able to put together. The real reason that they were scoring so damn well was not because their whole team was functioning. Kyrie Irving was hell-bent on finding a way to win that game. Kyrie Irving in the fourth quarter was four of seven from the field, add in two assists and two rebounds, had 10 points, and was a plus seven. 10 points, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, he was incredible. And now... It's also important to note that he did turn the ball over. The ball was in his hands during that shot clock violation. The Nuggets did a great job in the final few possessions. But yeah, that's what a closer looks like. That's Seriously. what the best player on the floor looks like. So I just wanted to shout him out. He had an incredible game. I wanted to touch on this because I think... Man, Trey Lyles had 11 points in the fourth quarter. Sorry to... Ignore. Oh, no, no, no. That's important four information. Four six from the field, two of four from three, three rebounds and assists, zero turnovers, and 11 points from the field. Man, how many Damn. times do we have to see him do this before we understand... He played the entire fourth quarter. I know you were throwing him some fake trades as a deal sweetener, and I, I his get His value is never going to be higher than this, that, And that's true, and I get it, but I... His value is that wow. high because he's playing so damn well. I don't know if Denver can afford to part with him. Another another discussion for another day. Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> um, an important stretch of this game, I thought, something that's been well documented is how drastically Boston's offense dips when Kyrie Irving is not on the floor. I think it's important because everyone bashed him for not making his teammates better in Cleveland. Right, and Boston needs him to score, right? Except TJ in the first quarter tonight. Kyrie Irving checked out with about four minutes remaining. And I was thinking, okay, here's a good opportunity for the Nuggets to jump out, right? Maybe Trey Lyles comes in and, and sparks the offense, and Boston stalls out. Boston's bench scored 11 points in the four minutes that Kyrie was out. Boston's bench was great all night. 
But it was alongside Kyrie. But it was well, but in that stretch, it wasn't. And I think that that's really important. Like, you really have to be outscoring the Celtics when Kyrie's not on the floor. And so, yeah, it's obviously the final play is what we all remember. To me, it's that stretch of play in a game that came down to one point, allowing the Celtics to light you up without Kyrie on the floor in the first, to me, was ultimately just as damning. Yeah. And I think what was so frustrating for me, too, is you talk about that bench situation. The Nuggets got 22 points off the bench tonight. 20 of them came from Trey Lyles. Yeah, that's not good. Like, listen to this. Emmanuel Moutier, 1 of 7 from the field. Kenneth Fareed, 0 of 3 in just 5 minutes. Torrey Craig only took one shot tonight. It was a 3. So when you have that happen, and Trey Lyles is literally dragging the corpse of a bench unit to this game, that's why his plus minus is so low, because he was the only dude who could function off the bench. Right. That is such a tough situation to overcome when you're a team like the Nuggets who rely on these runs so much to be able to outscore guys and be along and, and, and win in those fashions. But meanwhile, Boston's bench, I just, man, they six were so points good. for Semi, 14 points for Morris, 11 points for Theus, Theus, Tice, Tice. Daniel Tice. Yeah, whatever. Names. <laughs> He's a Adam Mates and yeah. Daniel Tice. I know. Huh? You know, it is what it is. <laughs> I watch basketball. 11 points plus 16 for him. He was great. Three for six from beyond the arc. So, yeah, Boston's bench over Denver's bench. Big, big part of the well, story. Every tonight. single player out of the four players who played off the bench for the Boston Celtics had at least two threes tonight. Right. Like that that's just damning. You're not and, gonna be able to win at that point. And none of them were a negative on the night. And that's huge. So. I am never, ever, 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 ever going to not wish that the Nuggets either grab Jordan Bell or Semi Ojale at that mm. at the twenty third pick instead of Tyler Lydon. And I love Tyler Lydon. Like I actually think he has legitimate upside in the NBA. I am not one of those people who just like doesn't believe in Tyler Lydon. He has legit shot blocking instincts. He has a beautiful stroke. And his rebounding was significantly better than I thought it would be when he played in the G League. I mean, I just don't know how anyone could or could not believe in Lydon. What do we know about him as an NBA player yet? But yeah, I hear you. I do hear you. Man. Oh, I love Sammy Ojale. But the other player that I love on this Celtics team, my God, Oof. Jason Tatum looks like he's 33 years old. Paul Pierce doing this crap. I'm about to drop something that I bet none of you have heard. He's actually only 19 years old. <laughs> wait, wait, really? Yeah, I don't know if you've heard that. Yeah, yet. never Jason heard that Tatum, once. He's only 19. Okay, so you know how you'll hear players have a quiet stat line. Someone might say it was a quiet 25 for Harris. Jason Tatum had a loud 20 points tonight, TJ. I'm looking at the box score, and I'm kind of in disbelief that it was only 20. He was 8 for 13 from the floor, 2 for 4 from 3, hit both of his free throws, 4 assists, 6 rebounds. But, dude, in the third, when Denver was laying it down, he was tearing poor Torrey Craig to pieces. He was. And this is the thing. Torrey Craig was not playing bad defense. That's not what was happening. Torrey Craig was hounding him the entire way through this situation and really trying to stick with him and was sticking with him. Jason Tatum was just a significantly better player. Yeah, he was incredible tonight. And so we've talked about how important it is for the Nuggets when the offense is stalling and someone like Murray, for example, just creates points. That's what Tatum did. And he really kept Boston in the game. In the third, when I thought things were really starting to slip away from them, he just played so well. And it wasn't that he had tons of individual buckets. He only had six points in the third quarter. It was the, it was the way he got those six points. Yes. It was when he got those six points. Yes. He is just so beyond his years. Yeah. Like when he crossed up Torrey Craig into oblivion, Rob Perez on Twitter was perfect. He's like, he crossed him up back to the G League. Like that's exactly what happened. I he mean, made people look foolish, man. You're not supposed to see a 19-year-old with the ball in an ISO on the wing and think he's going to score. 
Well, the Celtics are breaking all like lines of thought when it comes to the NBA. You're not supposed to win with completely overhauled rosters. You're not supposed to win with ball dominant point guards. You're not supposed to win with young players playing big time minutes in your rotation. They are doing all three they simultaneously. Sure it's yeah. incredible to me. It's incredible. And with Jason Tatum, five points in the first quarter, five points in the second quarter, six points in the third quarter, four points in the fourth quarter. Yeah. The, he is the model of consistency, and he's 19 freaking years old. Yeah, he made an impact all game long. That's that's one of the loudest 20 points you're going to see, in my opinion. I was blown away by his game, man. I was wrong about him. Another guy I'll own up to. Like I, The way he played in college, he was Carmelo Anthony in college. This is like, He just decided to change the way that he played entirely at the NBA level. I don't know. I think I'd rather have Markel Fultz. It's a hard thing to talk about now because Marco Fultz forgot how to shoot a basketball. Like yeah. when you forget how to shoot a basketball, it changes the way you're perceived in the yeah, NBA man. nowadays. That that could be one of those trades we talk about for years. But yeah, that's neither here nor there. We can just ramble about crazy basketball shit forever on this podcast, and we tend to always do that, it seems like. But what's the next thing on the docket, man? Jamal Murray's quote tonight on the offense, which you yeah. got. Um I thought he made a really good point tonight. I don't have the quote in front of me, but he basically talked about how the Nuggets Always play good offense for at least some part of the game, every yeah. game. He's like, our offense is never completely gone or right. something to those things where he knows that like, you can feel that the offense does function at an extremely high elite level. Right. Not a good, not a great, an elite level of offense. And I think this is something that's symptomatic of just being so young and it's inconsistency, but the Nuggets seem to, they can almost never put a complete game together, right? Yeah. They, they had a few, like that three-game stretch against Portland and, and Golden State, and I forget the third team, but... For the most part, it's always like... That was Utah. That's Utah, what it was. thank you. Yeah, they held all three of those teams to below 85 points. For the most part, it's like, oh, wow, that third quarter was really strong. Or, wow, how incredible were they in the second half? And obviously, the next step for this team is putting those complete four-quarter performances together more consistently. By the way, second-best team in the NBA in second quarters, your Denver Nuggets. Really? Absolutely, yeah. They're like they're a plus 8.9 net rating. Want to know who's number one? Who? Golden State. You want to know how far ahead of Denver they are? Is it a lot? They're a plus 23-point-something wow. net rating. That is an obscene, stupid number, and I had to at least point it I'm out. I'm sure they're similar in the third, too, Golden State. Yeah, yeah well, it's good for Denver because their first quarters on the road are pretty atrocious. <laughs> I mean, so they're yeah, gonna need pretty those. much every other quarter, but the yeah. third tends to be kind of a struggle for <laughs> this team recently. They're going to second quarters. <laughs> but the Nuggets are now 26-24 and 24 on the season. Yeah. They're still two games above 500, which is kind of surprising considering how much chaos they have dealt with they are a half game above the clippers who are blowing up everything currently which we will get to in a second and they are a game and a half behind portland currently the reason i just gave you that all that information is because when you look at the next part of their schedule we've talked about this on both podcasts recently but this is a hellacious stretch so they now which right now it is 1 a.m they are probably landing in san antonio as we speak right now on this podcast to play san antonio tomorrow night which is a 6 30 game that they are likely going to lose. I mean, Rudy Gay and Kawhi Leonard will be out of this game, but when you play on the road in San Antonio, especially on a back-to-back, I am never going to expect a win from the Denver Nuggets at that point. Yeah, especially shorthanded with everything going on with Chandler, whatever's going on with Chandler and with Plumlee, that's going to be a tough one. I We've, we've done the schedule thing on the last couple pods, so we don't need to run through the whole thing. But but they're, they're probably going to be 0-4 in, in their next three game, with their next three games. They're going to be on a four-game losing streak, likely. And it's just going to make this loss that much tougher. Not that it's a game they, they should have won necessarily, Necessarily, that's a, t- a tough matchup, but just being so close and given the way the rest of the schedule is going to play out, like, man, a, a win over Boston could have been so huge tonight. 
Yeah, because now they're going to have a three-game homestand once they get back from San Antonio, but it's Oklahoma City, Golden State, and Charlotte. Odds are you lose to Boston like you did tonight, you lose to San Antonio, you lose to Oklahoma City, and you lose to Golden State. Yeah, probably. And that'll put you two games under 500 and likely out of the playoffs. But with that being said, even with all that doom and gloom that we are talking about right now, there is a silver lining because as awful as it is, and I don't want it to be this way, DeMarcus Cousins did get hurt, so that does open a window for the Denver Nuggets. It's a cold lens to view that thing through, but the show... But it's a factual statement, unfortunately. Right, I mean, the league's not going to stop. The show must and will go on. And I wish we could have watched them actually play a full-strength team in the Pelicans more often. Like I, I feel so bad for Boogie. I, had, I felt bad... I'm going to make this about me somehow because being on the, on the Nuggets beat, I've had, a, you know, I'm watching a lot of Nuggets games and I, I want to watch the Cavs and the Warriors and the Rockets. I really didn't get to watch as much Pelicans as I wanted this year. And I guess that dream is dead. I will so. send you my league pass so you can rewatch more well, games. Well, yeah, I guess I have mine, but time is another thing I don't That's have. That's usually the hour yeah. considering it's one thirty in the morning and we're up here doing this right now. So, so. New Orleans is not going to not compete they're gonna probably try to make a trade at the deadline they're probably gonna try to push through and make the playoffs they have to try to do that the problem is it's gonna be really tough new orleans is is good in the great actually in the minutes with just davis on the floor that that's when they play their best but those numbers are coming to you when the minutes he's not on the floor for the most part cousins is they play very 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 few minutes without those two guys out there so yeah just drew holiday and just anthony davis for every game for the rest of the season, that's not going to be sustainable. I think it's very reasonable to expect this team to drop off. Yes, and then the other side of this is that there was a trade. The trade deadline season has taken off. There was a trade I am going to try to remember all the people in this trade, and I'm probably going to fail. So Detroit and the Los Angeles Clippers today... The Clippers send Blake Griffin, Willie Reed, and Bryce Johnson over to Detroit. Detroit sends Tobias Harris. Detroit also sends Avery Bradley. And then what was the other piece? Boban, right? Boban Marjanovic. And then also a first-round pick that is protected one through four for the next three years, as well as a 2019 second-round pick. I believe that's everything. Right. Now, that one through four protection, I mean, that they're probably going to get that pick this year, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's no way that the Clippers get into the bottom four this year so there's no way right so clippers get a pick they get tobias they get an expiring and bradley so with that deal if they kept the roster as is i feel like the clippers got better me too but tj but this gets confusing because because the clippers are gonna burn the goddamn house down right now why would you trade blake griffin for tobias harrison a pick and expiring well you're probably hitting the reset button aren't you yep so that means they have to reset because they still have guys like Teodosic, Gallo, Lou Williams, and DeAndre Jordan on this roster. So this makes no sense, this trade, unless more moves are coming. Yes. So Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN did report of the Nuggets, or to the Nuggets. Man, I am too damn tired right yeah, now. Yeah, man. That the Clippers are trying to move Lou Williams and DeAndre Jordan as well. They are trying to move him for young players and they are trying to get draft picks, but they also want to stay competitive. This is not a full on tank, according to Woj. I just don't believe that. That's just an optics thing, in my opinion. If you're trading all of your best players, guess what? You're tanking. Yeah, or whatever, like semantics, tanking, hitting the reset button. You know what they're not doing is gearing up to make a run at the finals. Exactly. So what that leaves is suddenly there are eight teams for eight playoff spots. Unless you consider Utah, the Utah Jazz a legitimate contender to make a run at the eighth seed, which right now they are 21 and 28. They are four and a half games away from the Denver Nuggets for the eighth, for the eighth seed. 
They could make it up. I'm not going to argue that they could, but they are not in a good spot, and they're trying to trade Rodney Hood, who's one of their only real scorers outside of Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, look, there's no two ways about it. These two events happening, this is a huge break for Denver. It really, really is. This stretch of schedule coming up, man, they could make the playoffs by default. They could make the seventh seed by default. And that's the thing, is that let's just even, let's go up more hypothetical. New Orleans could fall out of the playoffs. Even if the Jazz do catch them, you could still get into the playoffs. Yeah. So the Denver Nuggets suddenly find themselves in a position where if they don't make the playoffs, that is like everything fell apart. The earth is now falling on Denver and they have to fire everybody Yeah. all hell breaks loose. If they don't make the playoffs, heads are rolling. There's no about it. Yeah. And now it's going to be even worse because they have been basically gifted a playoff spot. Right. There's and no things excuse. can change that because the NBA is chaos. Right. So for all we know, Utah could somehow find a way to get Paul George and then all of a sudden everything is different and everything goes back to chaos again. But as of right now, with the way that the 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 optics of the Western Conference, Denver should absolutely, hands down, no two ways about it, be a playoff team in some capacity. Well, if all of a sudden there's pressure and expectations on this team, man, that's so crazy. I know, it's weird, isn't it? Isn't it weird that we're talking about it in this way now? I know. Well, it's, I feel like with this team and this season, it's going to change every game, TJ. Like, things will. are great. And that's things how it's bad. felt. It's yeah. felt like it just completely <laughs> alters every single game because they lose tonight and guys were happy. They won against Dallas and had a three-game winning streak and it felt like someone died. Like, Yeah, it's crazy, man. I watch a lot of sports my whole life. I've seen very few teams in seasons like this. It is, it is bizarre. It's a good thing to see, though, because at least they're in a position to where they are continually getting better and getting closer to their goal. And while this loss sucks and there's no such thing as moral victories, that was a hell of a game. It was a great game. And the, the crowd, man, like I hate that there was half Celtics fans, but that was a fun crowd. That was a playoff atmosphere. It was now, a playoff the, atmosphere. The Celtics fans who may have been like 60% of that crowd deserve a lot of the credit. And maybe be like 60% alcohol and six in the other 40% blood. But like, Dude, there were, was, there were MVP chants for Kyrie tonight. And then there was a Nuggets fan who kept screaming obscenities from like right near the media desk that I was sitting at. Kept yeah. calling things a horse crap foul but I did they did not use the term crap they were definitely very <laughs> upset throughout this game but that that crowd was awesome the final five minutes of that game were sheer pandemonium and it, it felt like a playoff atmosphere in the Pepsi Center and you weren't there last year you don't know this a Monday night game last year regardless of who they played it did not matter right. it was a damn mausoleum I in bet. the Pepsi Center so just to see that on a Monday night that it sold out was amazing even better than that this game is sold out but so is Oklahoma City so is Golden State they're gonna have four consecutive Executive sellouts at the Pepsi Center in the middle of the season. Yeah, that's incredible considering where this team was at before. Yeah, so. now the, the the bar moves to let's try to fill the the arena with our own fans. But hey, that's <laughs> you know what? At least there's fans because there were not last year of any kind. Yep. So like, think about it this way: if this was last year, there would have only been Celtics fans. True, and that's not fun. All right, dude. Well, you know that I could literally do a podcast all day and every day. Bed, actually, I, I got to write still too. So some pajama pants, that stretchy band around my waist here. <laughs> Carrot cakes. Get out of this damn suit. I don't feel good. Let's I gotta say, though, we were gonna get to questions, but every damn single one of them was about the timeout. So I'm pretty sure we covered it. Yes, I think we did. Okay, cool. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Please rate, comment, subscribe. Hit us up. I already got an email from Totes. Toots, man, you are the man. If you're listening to this, Noah, we appreciate you. We're gonna Toots. try and get this phone line up eventually. If we get more people who are interested, I'm gonna expedite the process, but we're gonna keep it moving. Thanks to everybody for listening. Shouts Brendan Vote for killing it and his first week on the beat. We're going to keep pushing through. Keep it locked to My Life Sports for all the content. We will talk to you guys soon.
with life causing death, breeding victims for the more. It was the moment I feared, nah, the moment I steered upon the right path to know the right math to overstand it's dog eat dog competition. No doubt. I'll 